Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar guest episode. Who do we have? A man with big smile, big talent, someone who's done a lot of great things in the IndyCar paddock for many years, sending a lot of drivers to Victory Lane, now at Andretti Autosport with his driver and countryman, Romain Groschon. We have our pal, Olivier Boisson. And Olivier, you're not here by mistake. I've had many listeners say, hey, get that guy on the show. Let's talk to him and learn a little bit about him. So let's start off with how you're doing. Pretty good, thanks. Just, uh, you know, busy winter for me, just getting up to speed with my new job. Indeed. Well, let's say thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. So while I have been fortunate to know you for a while, get to see you in the IndyCar paddock quite frequently, know that some of our listeners just want to learn a little bit more about you before we dive into their questions. So why don't we start there? Where, uh, tell us where in the world you grew up and where motor racing started to intersect with your interests in life. Yeah, so I grew up in France, uh, not too far from Switzerland. So in fact, um, I were, I'm living, my parents live about an hour and a half, two hours from Homer's home. So that was that was nice to meet last winter, but yeah. So I grew up in France and you know did all my school in France and uh, start getting interesting in motorsports and you know mechanical and and everything is good an engine in it. About you know when I was like fourteen, fifteen, and and was fortunate enough to find my way in, in the U.S. in uh, two thousand four and been there ever since. Was driving was racing ever part of your interest? Because that's always a. Uh... That's a fascinating component, as you and I both know, for many race engineers. We often find that the, the finer race engineers have also had a little bit of on-track uh, experience. Maybe some have exceptional amounts. Was driving the cars ever an interest for you? I, I never did, you know, drive a car. I've always been, you know, interested in, you know, driving in the countryside of France and when I was a kid, but I never really got myself into racing and driving. I was more, you know, into the mechanical side, the engineering side, and, and uh, the solving the problem and helping the driver to go faster. But I never got, got myself in, in a seat, no. I think I just came up with, Olivier, a new IndyCar test day. I'm going to propose <clears throat> to Jay Fry. So we're going right. to add one test day going forward where drivers climb onto the timing stand and engineer their race engineers who spend the day as a driver. So you think you'd be, be up for that? Interesting. That would be fun. Fun to watch, I'm sure. <laughs> and you could scream and yell about the car too. Oh my God, this is the worst. Make it better. That would be pretty funny. I love it. Well, why don't we dive into the great questions that we have here? JJ Gertler, friend of the show, who was the last person uh, of the many to say get Olivier on. We'll start off with him. He said, uh, Mr. Boisson, we've heard Roman's side of his transition to IndyCar. Uh, what did it look like from your end on Pitwall? Uh, what were, say, the biggest concepts he had to learn, and what were the major signs that told you he was catching on? So, great question. We've got to see and hear Roman's side of things, but what were you seeing on this year of transition from the timing stand? I mean, he catch up very quick. He's a very quick learner, and, you know, the main thing for him was to learn the tire is very different from the Pirates and, and the car and how you know, everything works inside the cockpit, which is a lot simpler than the F1. 
But you know, on, on my side, in the timing stand, it was just very easy because he's just such a good driver and so, you know, work very hard at it, look at a lot of data and just learn very quick. So I, I was very surprised, like at Barber for the first race, how good we qualified. And it was all him just really quickly learning, looking at videos, looking at data, how he can make himself better. And yeah, just I think for him, the biggest difference was the tires and the brakes compared to what he's used to in F1. Kerry Leenbach adds to the theme here. Curious about what traits that you see that Romain brings with him that make him successful. I know you just said he works very hard, reviews data, and looks at all these things. It's a bit of a common thing, though, right, among successful race car drivers. Most have similar, if not almost identical, habits. Kerry's curious, are there any things that stood out as unique about Romain's working style? Also curious... If there are any things you look at and say, hmm, here's some new wrinkles in IndyCar he might need to learn moving to a bigger team like Andretti. Yeah, I mean, I think his main trait is like he's very adaptable. And, you know, I think that's something not every driver have. And he was able to adapt to, you know, the, the car, but also the tracks in F1. You know, when we go to a street course, we don't really have, they don't really have bumpy tracks the way we have them, you know, in IndyCar and those kind of like street racing. And so I think his, his level of capability of adaptation was pretty impressive. You know, they're all very good, but some guys take a bit longer than some other guys to adapt. And I thought it was like pretty impressive how quick he caught upon. And, you know, like at Andretti, I think, you know, what we're going to have to keep working on for him in general is going to be the oval. You know, he's done just gateway and he's done great. But now he's, you know, we're going to have to do the whole season and the speedway. And, and it's a all new, you know, learning curve for him. But, you know, he's got some really good teammates to learn from this year. So that's going to be pretty fun to watch. Fun to watch is an amazing way of putting it. I can't wait. Uh, I, I Granted, we just put the season to bed, right? And I guess we do want a little bit of rest, but... Yeah, if I could hit the fast-forward button, brother, and get us to February next year, I'd be doing it right now. Uh, let's see. We have another question here from uh, JJ. says, on paper, uh, our pal Sebastian Bourdais and Romain had similar backgrounds uh, before working with you. He's curious, were the significant difference between them, say, how they communicated or what they liked in car setup? A little curious about the uh, two drivers who speak your native tongue, any similarities? Any big differences? I think the main <clears throat> the main difference between the two is I think Seb likes maybe a little bit more secure rear end than that the Homa does, and I think that's the biggest difference between the two. But they're both like really great, and you know, and I was really lucky, very lucky, be able to work with those two guys and you know call them friends, and it's, it's been really fun to to work with both of them. But yeah, the biggest difference in terms of driving style, I think, is is Seb likes maybe a little bit better, a little bit more secure rear end, I would say. Well, I can't let you just say nice things about Bourdais here. Come on, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, that guy's terrible. He's the worst. Uh, kidding aside, I mean, one thing we know about Seb. And it's sometimes presented as a slight or as maybe even a big negative. I don't think it is, but we know he's always very exacting, Olivier, right? For him, getting the car to 98% is never acceptable. He's always pushing for perfection. Is that something as a race engineer that 
you have to either learn to adapt to that constant pressure from a driver who's rarely satisfied, uh, or is that a trait that you have as well, where you never consider anything good enough? No, I think I'm, I'm a bit like Seb. I always want to try to do better, you know, unless you like P1 every session and win the race, you know, you can always do better. And, and, and I learned a lot from Seb and with Seb about, you know, keep trying to find the little things. But sometimes you have to leave it alone and know when it's time, you know, to just leave it alone and not touching it anymore. But I always try to find a little bit if I can and, you know, manage that expectation. But um, I did learn a lot from Seb when we worked together from, you know, his, his ethic and the, the way he walks on the car and always asks for a little bit more and what he's asking for. And it was, it was very good for me. Why don't we go to John Ellick? Says Olivier, you ever talk about the car on the timing stand or wherever else uh, in French with your French speaking drivers? I don't know why, but I got that question quite a few times this year, specifically about you and Romain. And I tried to tell folks, although uh, our man Dale Coyne certainly should have picked up some French over the last couple of years. Um, I would have to imagine you spent the majority of your time communicating at least on something that everybody in the timing stand would have heard, probably in English. But uh, do you guys ever speak your native tongue uh, in an engineering capacity? Yes, uh, we do sometimes, mostly in English. But in, in some cases, you know, like Roma, sometimes default back to um, to French in, in the truck when we analyze data and looking at a few things. But in general, like I've, I've been doing majority of my racing career in the U.S., and and funny enough, I'm more familiar with technical term in English than I am in French at this point. So it's easier to do it in English and for everybody around be able to understand what we're talking about. But we do, you know, a little bit of time speaking French. Why don't we go to a friend of mine, Diego Rodriguez, and I love this question, Olivier. He says, who are your engineering heroes? Both say from inside the world of racing, and are there any engineers of other varieties outside of racing that you really look at and idolize? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate in my career to work with a lot of really good race engineers uh, in IndyCar. So, you know, there is many names out there. And, you know, lately I work with, you know, Michael Cannon, Craig Emson, Eric Cowden, you know, Bill Pavis and, and Dave Faustino. So on the IndyCar side, you know, a lot of good guys I was very lucky to, to work with and along them. And, and it started with Dave Faustino when I first started at, at Conquest, where I learned a lot from him uh, about, you know, dampers and, and he really got me into it. And it was, he's a really interesting and very smart guy. So that was, you know, for the IndyCar side, you know, very fortunate. And, and I just, you know, learned racing from a mechanical standpoint with my dad and my grandpa, you know, just walking on, on cars and, and moped and motorcycle and things like that. And, you know, so been a bit of everything and always being outside of racing, interested in like aerospace and, you know, how those guys put, you know, rocket out there and how they calculate all that and all the technical aspect of things. So there is many engineers like Von Braun and those guys in, in, you know, the aerospace industry and all the guys who develop, um, you know, planes and, and all those things like skunk walks and things like that. Been yeah. Like very, very interesting to me. Wow. Well, Captain Kirk uh, went into space this morning as well for the very first time. So, uh, mm -hmm. yes, keeping an eye on some of those engineering exploits and hoping everything goes well. We go to a, a fun couple of, of questions here. 
still sticking in the engineering domain. This comes from at uh, car underscore windy on Twitter. It says, in recent years, seems like IndyCar strategists, engineers, even chief mechanics and crew have been elevated in public profile among fans. Asks, do you feel team engineers get too little credit, too much? It's all the drivers. The drivers are the best. Or is it just the right amount? Uh, also says the engineers get too much of the blame when things go poorly. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, as a former race engineer, I'm always trying to give folks like you and, and everyone else as much love as possible. So fans understand it's not just the driver. Is that something you welcome? Do you like the spotlight a little bit on the personal side? Or do you rather stay in the dark recesses of the, uh, the timing stand? No, I mean, I think it's good for the sport in general. You know, it, it's a team sport. You know, the driver is definitely like the quarterback of the sport, but I think it takes everybody at every level to make it happen and, and consistency. So I think it's good, you know, I think for the sport in general and for everybody to get a bit of light and a bit of recognition from the fans for sure. Why don't we go to Tim Falkowitz? Says Olivier, welcome to the podcast. He says, uh, once Romain. Um, the announcement was made that he was moving to Andretti. Everyone started asking if you were going with him. I actually avoided asking you that when I saw you a couple times in September. I'm like, man's got enough work to do. I'll leave him alone. But uh, Tim asks, how critical is the driver and engineer relationship to having a successful team? And at least how I interpret that question, Olivier it's more the personal side of the relationship. I mean, I know I've worked with drivers before where we weren't necessarily friends. We didn't necessarily communicate much away from the track, but I know that for those where I did have a deeper personal bond, it seemed like we got more out of each other. How critical is that personal relationship for success with a driver? Do you have to have it? I think so. I think it's, I think it's pretty important, at least for me. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, very big into those personal relationship and we spend a lot of hours together more than with my wife at some point and you know i think it's very important to um you know have those personal relationship and and connect to a higher level not just on on a work level uh to be able to you know understand each other understand each other's mood and and you know it, it's a human sport as much as a mechanical sport and it's a team sport so i think for me it's pretty big, and that, that was a big reason of, of following Omar. It's like the same way I followed Seb when we went from KV to Delcoin is those kind of relationship with driver for me are, are very important. And there is a few around the paddock that you can see that works pretty well. Absolutely. Why don't we go to our pal, Hrishi Deshpond, uh, says, Bonjour Olivier, says, congrats on your success this past year. Curious from an engineering standpoint, was there, say, a biggest challenge to get that uh, IndyCar handling and balance to Romain's liking? Um, that's maybe another interesting aspect to explore here, brother, as a race engineer. It's awesome when you have an amazing driver to work with for the first time. You as an engineer, though, have to figure out not just what they want and need, but then how to deliver that and hopefully deliver it consistently Tell folks what it's like. I know Romain is the most recent example of a new driver to learn, but it's not as if climbs in the car and they magically go quickly and everything's perfect. You are having to learn a heck of a lot about this person, their needs and likes, and how to tune the car to what they want. 
Tell folks about that process because it's a significant one. No, it, it is completely. And, and, you know, recently we've been lucky enough in the last few years with the help of simulation and the driver in the loop simulation, we able, you know, we were able over the winter to take Homa into the simulator at Honda and, you know, put him in a car, learn from it, trying different setup and concept with him to start narrowing down a little bit, you know, what he likes and what he doesn't like and see what his feedback is like and what, you know, how can I interpret what he's saying when he's in the car and what does that mean from a mechanical standpoint? So the simulation was a really, really big tool for us to get home up to speed because of limited track time and limited testing. So, um, you know, in the past, without simulation, without the driver in a loop simulation, it takes a little bit longer and, you know, you have to go testing and, and try different packages and try to you know, understand what the driver wants, what he needs, and what it means when he tells you something. But simulation was definitely a very, very big help for us. Why don't we go to, as we get down to uh, the last handful of questions, why don't we go at uh, the underscore jag? I have no idea what some of these names mean, but that's okay. Asks, Olivier, what is the most highly engineered thing IndyCar does that most people don't know about? So, is there something beneath the bodywork, above the bodywork, and whatnot where you go, ooh, boy, that takes a lot of time from an engineering standpoint to get right? Yes, there is, and that's the dampers. The, the dampers are wide open from a regulation standpoint in IndyCar, and every teams do their own development, and it is a lot of proprietary part, a lot of development be done, and we're running like what's called inerter inside the dampers and that's you know takes a lot of time and resource and and that's where you know everybody's scratching their head out to make the car faster and that's definitely nobody i don't think much people know about that like what's happening down there but that's definitely a big budget spending for teams why don't we stay here for a second because dampers are one area of engineering where you are well known for your expertise and the quality there. Always curious, and I can't say that I ever had an expertise among the various things we do as race engineers, but when I think of, you mentioned our pal Michael Cannon, when he was at Players, for example, he spent a ton of time wind tunnel, wind tunnel models and testing and right. Aero was really a side where among the various disciplines in engineering you have to look after that's where Michael really stuck himself into and amassed great, great knowledge. Tell me about damping. You mentioned mopeds as a kid and taking things apart and understanding them. Was the damping and suspension side something that just naturally appealed to you? Did you get stuck with that when you went to work for Bachelard? He said, you, dampers. Okay. Um, how did that come into your purview? Because it certainly is something that uh, you're known for and have a reputation for being excellent. In that area. Yeah, that's that's pretty much as you said. Is when I started working for Eric in two thousand four, um, you know, I applied for a job to be, you know, on the engineering level, and he had nothing open for me. But he said I need somebody to build dampers, so I was like, all right, I guess I give it a go. And you know, so I started building damper, be at the shop, you know, putting my hands in it and taking everything apart. And I've been doing it ever since. So in, in a way, you know, I'm very thankful to Eric 
to help me getting you know that kind of skill because I think in, in Indica especially it's it's a good skill to have to understand dampers and and there's nothing better than just taking them apart and building them yourself to to you know get acclimated with with how they work internally and and I was just basically pure luck at this point. Good old oily hands, boisson, right? Hands deep yep. into those dampers. All right, what do we go to? Champ Car Forever. It's a great screen name, I guess. Um, asks, are car setups from previous years helpful or a hindrance when trying to get the correct setup for a race weekend? Know that a lot of folks are curious about this because I get this somewhat often, Olivier, of, hey, so you went to pick the track last year and you come back do you just take the same settings and start from there a couple variables but could you tell folks about that process of how it isn't necessarily just a cut and paste from year to year that there's some areas of evolution you need to look into yeah i mean it it, you know you you use that as a starting point always to to see what you did last year and if it was a good weekend or bad weekend you know we try to track on the engineering side, a lot of what we do with the mechanical balance of the car to really, you know, understand what we're doing right or wrong. But, you know, it's all depending on drivers, it's depending of, on tires, uh, you know, like when we put the aero screen on the car, it changed quite a lot the way we run the car from there. So you, we use that as basically a baseline, but, you know, we we look at it, sim, sim it over the winter, try to learn from it, try to make it better and start somewhat similar sometimes but a little bit you know a little bit different even if you had a good good weekend uh the year prayer you you're still not going to start necessarily with the same exact setup because you know some little details might be different and and for example if you go to a street course uh, the first practice, you know, the track's pretty slow, the grip is pretty low. So if you show up with your qualified setup, sometimes it's not necessarily the best car to have on a very green and dirty track. And then you can just pretty easily confuse yourself, try to go the wrong direction. So, the, you know, we use, you know, previous years baseline at Compare, but we always look at it with an objective eye and, and, and try to, you know, evolve and, and keep track of things. And that's where doing a track walk can help? And you see that maybe, especially in an area where maybe there's a lot of snow over the winter, there can be some pretty significant changes to track surface quality from year to year. There could be some new cracks or seams or whatever else. Firestone might have a slightly different tire from the one you used the year before. Could be a compound, could be a construction change. So there's definitely some variables where you're having to game plan how you might modify what you did last year. And yeah, to your point, hey, we qualified 24th and finished 23rd. Eh, we're probably not going to lean on that setup too much uh, when we go back to wherever. But yeah, uh, always an interesting thing to see how folks evolve their setups from one year to the next. Why don't we get down to the last couple of questions and you got to get back to work. Um, why don't we go to Dylan Burgett? Says, Olivier, as a lifelong resident of the Chicago area, now that you've left my hometown team, I'm wondering what, if anything, you'll miss most about Chicagoland. Uh, Chicago, it's it's a very cool city. I mean, like, 
the food, I would say. <laughs> Besides, I mean, Dell was a very, you know, it's a great little team. We had a good time there. It was, it was really fun working at Dell, and he's a great person. So I will miss the guys there for sure. It's always, you know, never easy when you have to leave a place to another one. You know, you always create connection with people. But, but the Chicago area, I really love downtown. I really love the food there. There is so much to do. It's such a fun place. All right, two to go here. Our penultimate question comes from John C. Palmieri. Says this couldn't happen to a more deserving person. So glad for you, Olivier. And I'll echo that not only on a personal standpoint, but you have so many folks in the paddock that you have worked with, race engineers and and similar, who are just so happy to see your continued uh, growth and prosperity. So uh, it's pretty cool when you see uh, a lot of folks rally behind you and say, "Yep." We're going to hate competing against you at Andretti Autosport, but couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, why don't we close here with Andrew Miller? And uh, I love the direction here because it opens up, uh, I know, what's a really important thing for you. Uh, Andrew says, saw in Roman's last video uh, blog that you drove an RV for the last couple of races. Asks if you have any fun travel stories to share. And I wanted to circle back to close here, Olivier. You mentioned your wife, Kate, Kate Shoup, a accomplished professional, a very proud, smart, supportive woman. The two of you are as much of a team as any couple that you will find in IndyCar. Tell folks about the chance to not only do some RVing, uh, up and down the West Coast, any of those travel stories that might come to mind, but getting to do so with your wife, uh, two of you really are a really strong unit that folks I, I know uh, look to. There's a lot of smiles, a lot of happiness for what the two of you do together. Yeah, it's been really fantastic and great. I'm very fortunate, you know, the fact that Kate can walk remotely and can, you know, travel with me and we can travel together to all the races i mean she takes fantastic picture at the track and she's doing her own little thing and i think it's great because she's doing such a good job this way and getting a lot of recognition on her own and i think it makes makes us you know pretty appreciate even more you know the race weekend and spending time together at the racetrack and it's been really fun traveling together and you know traveling with roma too we had a really really fun time on the west coast and uh, one little funny story, when we're driving from Portland to uh, Laguna is Roma left a little bit before me and basically all over the sun I receive a phone call and he's like, can you come pick me up because he parked his RV to a place to go ride his bicycle like he does pretty much every day and he had two flat tires and basically was stranded on the side of the road. So me and my motorhome had to go around on a little countryside road and pick him up and bring him back to the campground. So that was pretty <laughs> fun. So good thing I was a few I was maybe an hour behind him so I was able to pick him up but that was pretty fun. But no, we've been very fortunate and it's been really fun to be able to travel uh, around the country with Kate and the dogs. Uh, Jimmy Vassar also told me you uh, you guys made a stop at his vineyard and uh, may have had to sleep one off a little bit the next morning. But that's kind of a normal Vassar story. But sounds like you had fun uh, during that trip for sure. Yes, no, it was, it was fantastic. And, and at Jimmy's vineyard is beautiful. And we had such a great evening with him. It's It's been so fun walking with him. Well... Go get back to work. Go uh, go make some, some victories. Prepare some victories for next year. Looking forward to see not only what the two of you can do, 
in that number 28 Honda entry, but also how the team is going to undoubtedly uh, get a bit of a lift and rise um, from your joining them as well, Olivier. So, A, thanks for taking some time. And don't be surprised if you get another request here uh, before the end of the year to come join us because folks want themselves some uh, Monsieur Boisson. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much, Marshall. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been really fun talking to you. <laughs>